This is the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin, episode 16. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That. My name is Grant, and you are at episode 16, where uh, we got a great episode today. Uh, Just honored that you're hanging out with us. We've got heard from so many different great people and uh, people that are are listening to this, that are stumbling across the podcast, that are soaking it up, that are drinking it in, and uh, hopefully it's it's just encouraging you to think. Uh, I've heard from a few different people. I've got a couple of emails that have been great lately. A couple of people have emailed me and said, the more I listen to your show, the more I want to quit my job. I think that's good. I, I mean, if you hate your job, then ultimately at the end of the day, then I, I'd prefer that you'd be doing something else. Hopefully you're not just blindly leaping from uh, one thing to the next. But uh, I hope this encourages you to step back and realize there's a lot of people out there, so many people that we interview and so many people that, that are out there in the world who are doing some really cool work that they really are passionate about, that they really, really enjoy. And you have that same opportunity. There is no reason why you should be stuck in a dead-end job. There's no reason why you should be doing some type of work that you absolutely hate. That makes no sense whatsoever. And so I hope that this show and I hope that these episodes have been encouraging and inspiring to you to find and do the work that you love. Now, today we've got a great episode for you, episode 16. We are here uh, with Sean Askinosi. And uh, Sean's probably a guy, it's probably a name that you haven't heard of, probably one that you're not necessarily familiar with. But uh, Sean runs a, uh, a company called Askinosi Chocolate. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, Sean is basically the modern day Willy Wonka. He literally runs a chocolate factory. Now that's cool in and of itself. And I'm very curious on how, how did you get into that? How do you become the modern day Willy Wonka? But what's also just as fascinating is his story of literally how he got into it. You see, Sean, prior to becoming a, a chocolatier, uh, prior be- to becoming a, a Willy Wonka, if you, I'm just going to keep calling him that. Uh, I don't know if he's going to mind, but we'll see. But prior to doing this, he was actually a, a defense attorney. Not just like a like a, a petty crime defense attorney. This guy did was a defense attorney for murder trials for like serious, like hardcore type of criminal cases. And so this guy was literally uh, at the top of his game. He'd been uh, an attorney for 20 years, something that he's always wanted to do, something he really followed in his father's footsteps. And he just got to a point where he's like, I just, I can't take this anymore. And I don't know what to do. I don't know what's next. I just know it's not this. And so his story is super, super uh, inspiring and encouraging and, and just fascinating of how, how you're literally at the top of your game in a field and you just decide to walk away and become a chocolatier, like start a chocolate factory. And so we talk a lot about that. We talk a lot about how, how he was just literally, he was at the top of his game and decided to walk away without having any idea what he wanted to do. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe you're like, I, I'm doing well in my career. I'm doing fine in my job. I make good money. People like me. I'm well-respected. But inside, I'm just dying. I just, I can't keep doing this anymore. And so maybe you know exactly what that feels like. And so Sean was kind of like, I, I didn't know what I want to do. I just knew it wasn't this. So you'll figure out how he kind of, he landed on chocolate and it wasn't his first choice. And it wasn't kind of interesting story of how that came to be for him. Uh, another thing that we'll talk about is how he just wasn't worried what other people thought. You know, whenever you are a, a high powered attorney doing criminal trials uh, related to murder, 
And then you'd start telling people like, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to open a chocolate factory. You know, that's going to raise some eyebrows. It's going to raise some questions. So how did he handle that? Like, how do you, how do you deal with what other people think of your new career choice? So we'll, we'll get into that as well. And then the other thing that we'll talk about here is how do you get into a niche or a business or industry that you literally know nothing about? He, he had zero experience with chocolate other than he liked it. He even confessed. He's like, I, I didn't even know where chocolate came from. I just thought it all generated from Hershey, Pennsylvania. But there's so much more to it. And so now he's created this, this fascinating and really, really cool business that I, I think you're really, really going to enjoy and, and dig his story. So uh, as always, you can check out all the show notes, all the links, everything that we talk about. If you'd like to sample some of the chocolate that, that we discussed, you can go to uh, grantbaldoncom slash Sean Askinosi. His last name is a bit complicated to spell. So to make it simple, you can just go to grantbaldoncom slash chocolate. There you go. grantbaldoncom slash chocolate. All right. So uh, enough jabbering. I'm, th- I'm hungry for chocolate. I'm going to go get some chocolate. You listen to this episode. We'll be right back. Enjoy. All right, today I'm here with uh, Sean Askinosi. Sean runs a wildly successful chocolate company that I'm really, really fascinated to just dive in and share his story with you. So, uh, Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate it, Grant. You bet, man. So, you run Askinosi Chocolate. It sounds like this, like this childhood fantasy of being a your own Willy Wonka chocolate factory. So, tell us a little bit about what you do. We are a, a bean to bar chocolate factory, and we're a very small company. We have 15 people total, but we uh, make chocolate from scratch. We source the beans from around the world uh, directly from farmers, and it's shipped to Springfield, Missouri, in burlap bags and shipping containers. And then we uh, turn those beans into chocolate, and we sell the chocolate around the United States and around the world in specialty food stores. And then at the completion of a selling cycle of a crop of beans, we go back and profit share with the farmers that we buy the beans from and work on community development projects in those communities where we source the cocoa beans and also at home in Springfield, Missouri, where we're from. And that's pretty much it. That's awesome, man. So it's way more than just you know mass producing chocolate bars, but you really there's a social component to it where you're really trying to give back and contribute to the people that started the process in, in the first place. Absolutely. We want to be a responsible business. And I think that in order to be responsible, you need to engage with the community around you and where you do business. And that's what we do here in Springfield and around the world. All right. Very cool. So tell us about this. Is this like the idea of making chocolate? Is that something that's always been intriguing to you? Or where does that that interest come from? Making chocolate has not always uh, had some captivation for me or cooking. I was a criminal defense lawyer for 20 years before I started this business and uh, really pretty much thought about nothing else, had no hobbies. Everything that I did was pretty much related to work and becoming better uh, at my job as a trial lawyer. And so uh, chocolate really was not on my radar. And uh, But there came a time that I knew I needed to do something different. And so... I set about finding some hobbies, and uh, which I did. I started grilling, got a big green egg, and I got another big green egg. And uh, grilling turned to baking, and baking into chocolate desserts, and chocolate desserts into making chocolate from scratch, uh, all while I was a lawyer. But that was a five-year process. Yeah. And it was a very uh, – I'm a, I'm a type A, hard-driving, hard-charging person. It's very difficult to switch careers like that. Uh, and it was something 
that I committed to prayer for five years that it was a pretty simple prayer that went like this, dear God, please give me something else to do. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Anything I else. said that pretty much every day. Yeah. Every day for five years. Wow. So uh, let's go back in time here a little bit. So growing up, did you always, I mean, obviously you, you were on the lawyer track for 20 years. Obviously you were very successful. You know, we live here in the same town, so I've been familiar with your work. I remember as a kid that you, you know, you were an attorney. So was that something that you always wanted to do? And that's always just kind of what you saw yourself doing in the, in being an attorney? My father was a lawyer here in Springfield and he died when I was young, when I was 14. And I always wanted to practice law with him. And when he died of cancer, uh, that pretty much obviously went out the window. But some of his friends took me under their wing and lawyer friends. And I started working in a law office really when I got my driver's license and never looked back. And I always wanted to do it. And I wanted to practice specifically, I wanted to practice criminal law, uh, white collar and um, street crimes. And it was just always a passion. And it remained a passion for years and years and years. And I really didn't think about doing anything else. And when I left it, I was really quite successful at it. I mean, I, I really left at the peak of my career. I was on an upward trend, if you will. Yeah, for sure. And that's interesting. You say that, you know, not only was your was your father a, a lawyer himself, but it was something that you were really, really passionate about. Because it seems like a lot of people that I talk to or interview, they want to go into something that was, you know, somewhat related to the family business, or my, my dad did this, therefore, I want to do it. And some of it was, I'm doing it because that's the only thing I know. And I grew up around it. Or some of it is I felt pressured to do it. And I, I just kind of felt steered in that direction. But it sounds like for you, just independent of all that, you were like, no, no, I, I like this world. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by this whole legal law system. I was intrigued by the system when he was alive. I mean, when I was a little kid, I'd go with him to the courthouse. And it's also, as a child, where I learned about social justice. And my father was very involved in that. He was very involved in the community. My mother was involved in the community as a volunteer. And so as a little boy growing up, I was surrounded by people who were interested, engaged, involved in aspects of the community and social justice. And criminal law was an opportunity for me to, to also be involved in that. And, and I think it's one of the things that really interested me. And, and I, I don't think it was because it was the family business. I don't think it was any pressure. However, I do think that my father's death and all of the grief surrounding that certainly had something to do with me wanting to follow in his footsteps. And I totally enjoyed it. But as I said a moment ago, there came a time when I could tell in my body and in my spirit that it was just time to do something else. And I didn't want to be one of those guys, you know, sitting around the courthouse coffee shop, just complaining about their life. Right. Um, and I just, I had to do something about it. Yeah. So you, you go to law school, you're on that track, you quickly get into it. And it sounds like, you know, not only are you passionate about it, but it sounds like in some ways you wanted to just continue your father's legacy as an attorney. And, and so enjoy doing it quickly successful. Did you pretty much during law school and, and even just early first five years of your career, just feel like, ah, oh, this is it. I found it. I'm one of the lucky ones that nailed the thing right out of school that I want to do. Or were there ever those days where you're starting to kind of question, is this what I want to do? Or am I intrigued by 
by that over there? Or are you just feeling like, no, this is it. I'm, I've got the wind is at my back right now. You know, it's kind of a combination of I've always been an idea factory, just constantly. And, you know, there's medication for that, which I over the years on I have taken on and off. I just can't stop thinking of things to do, you know, and ideas and projects. And as a lawyer, I kind of had both. So in other words, I knew that I was in the right track. I knew I was in the right place at the right time doing exactly what I love to do. It wasn't work to me. By the same token, there were, you know, I can look back over those years and see where, you know, there were sort of uh, uh, shiny things that uh, grabbed my attention, maybe business opportunities or things like that. But nothing that made me question whether or not I was in the right career path. Yeah. So you're doing it for a while, seem to be enjoying it, obviously successful at it. A few other maybe little hobbies or little things that catch your your interest and, and intrigue along the way, but just for the most part, like seems like you're just rolling downhill like in a positive way and like gaining momentum and traction with your business and career that everything's going right. You know, why would anybody suspect otherwise? That's exactly what it was. And I was continuing to make more money. I was continuing to win cases, getting national media attention with the cases that that we uh, successfully handled and but it just it you know needed to stop so you're 20 years into it at what point within those 20 years are you starting to question what am i doing here why am i doing this there's got to be more to life than this i don't know that i can because obviously you could ride that wave to retirement and and be you know very financially successful and successful in in the world's eyes but at what point are you starting to feel like is this the train that i want to be on and is this journey worth it versus the the toll that it's taking on me i would say that it was probably about you know 16 years in, 17 years in, something like that. And it wasn't really so much, is this what I want to do? I I totally believed in the cause of defending people who were accused of a crime. And uh, I didn't question that. I didn't question the legitimacy of defending people who were accused by the government. What I questioned was my place in it. When you work in criminal defense law, and I gained kind of a specialty in uh, murder cases, uh, the stakes are the absolute highest, and you cannot be asleep at the switch. You cannot phone it in. You must be fully engaged and essentially in battle mode, uh, you know, at much of the time. And a body and a soul and spirit can, can just only be uh, at ready for so long. Right. And right. so I just knew that I needed to, I needed to, to let other people, you know, take that on and that I needed to do something else. Yeah. And that's what I felt. And that's, what I, that's what I prayed for. Yeah. I got to think that, you know, given the nature of the work you were doing, it's got to be very physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually draining of, of defending people that, you know, maybe uh, much of society would follow the news on on high profile cases, of thinking that you're doing you're defending someone who's guilty, and and just kind of having that that stereotype of or stigma associated with with the work you're doing. I I, I got to assume just over time that that seems to be what what takes its toll on you. And that begins to kind of eat at you. I think that it, it there's no question that um, eventually the, all of those things that you mentioned you know sort of contribute to the totality of uh, stress. But 
you know, I didn't, it, it was kind of an interesting situation. I mean, yes, most people who followed the cases that I handled didn't like me or they didn't like what I was doing or they didn't like my clients or they, you know, thought ill of me because of the people that I represented. And that really never bothered me. People wanted to kill me. Some people still do and hurt my family. Obviously, that bothers me, not someone threatening me. But when they bring my family into it, then but it just, you know, it just kind of all came together. And I kind of, you know, know the moment uh, in which all of that sort of culminated. And when I, I said, okay, well, I'm going to do something else. Tell us about that moment. Where did that, where did that hit you? That was after uh, a couple of first degree murder cases that we tried uh, back to back. And I was outside the courtroom and had a private conversation with a client. And I'm not going to go into the details of that or what, what it's, it's a, a private a confidential communication. But at that moment, and we, we won the case, but at, at the moment, I felt a real challenge to my spirit almost just saying, this is the point at which you need to search for something else. And then, and this is the challenge, and this is the question that I get a lot. There are a lot of people, Grant, who are in that situation. I mean, I am not the only guy or woman who's had a moment or series of moments where you're like, I can't do this anymore. The problem becomes in what else are you going to do? And I get that question all the time. I get it in emails. I get people calling me. I get they're you know, in their mid-career or whatever, and they have no idea how to do something else or what to do. It's got to be uh, kind of a, a very, in some ways, I guess, awkward feeling where you're standing outside the courtroom. You just won, and in society's eyes and business's eyes, you're winning, but inside you're going, I'm dying here. And at that point, other, outside of your own world and outside of maybe your, your, your wife, are people recognizing that? Are they seeing you, you're wearing down? Or are you just continuing to kind of put on the, put on the facade in the face that, that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing well, everything's okay? Yeah. I, to my family, I, of course I, you know, confided in what was going on to my wife and, but I continued to, to do the battle, you know, and, and I believed in my causes and in that particular one, I definitely did. And I can't even, it's hard for me to even really describe. It was just an overwhelming sense of it's over. This is it. And at first I tried to do other things related to law. You know, I tried to you know, handle some other cases and that kind of thing. And it just wasn't working. And I then began to kind of really think that after I developed this hobby of, of cooking, I thought that it might, the, my next career might have something to do with food. So when you have that moment outside the courtroom and you're just kind of questioning, why am I doing this or why am I here? Or what am I doing? And, and what kind of happens next? At that point, have you started playing with the chocolate? Or are you starting to get into that world? Or is that something where well, you're realizing, no, nah, I, I got I to gotta find something now? Yeah, no, I had to find something. I was a long way from chocolate at that point. I had to find something. I had to, and there, and I mean, and 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 that's the thing, you know, because what most people do when they're in that situation now um, is the first thing they do is go to the internet, and they literally Google. Pro, they, there are people right now who are googling, "What should I do with my life?" Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I read the book by Poe Bronson. Called yep. What should I do with the rest of my life? Yep. That's a, awesome book, except I expected there to be a final chapter that said, Sean, 
this is what you should do with the rest of your life. Written to you. Yeah, written to me, you know, that it would be special Poe just to Sean, and it didn't happen. You know, so it's a great book, but it didn't take me the last mile. And neither do any of these websites and any of the things that, I mean, it's not, it doesn't work that way. And especially for people who are becoming increasingly disenchanted and, and becoming stressed with not being able to find the next thing and becoming uh, in some way even desperate to find the next thing. Well, we often can't, this paradox of you know working harder to find the next thing becomes the thing that is the obstacle to finding the next thing. Yeah. Are you thinking at this point, maybe, tell you what, I'll just scale back on the law and I'll just do something else and maybe that's more sustainable or is it like, I got to pull the ripcord completely. I just got to be completely out of this world. I knew that I had to be completely out of it. And knowing that it would um, significantly impact my income and the lifestyle of my family. And yeah, so I knew I, but I knew, I knew it. Sure that's, did. that's a, a crazy place. And, and so many people that I've interviewed have said the same thing. I, I felt something similar, you know, in my own journey of going, I'm successful at what I'm doing and everybody's patting me on the back, but inside I'm dying here and I could just become numb to it and put up with it and tolerate it just for the sake of the paycheck and continuing just to, to live by everybody else's script. But I don't know what's next, but I know it's not this. And it sounds like you're, you're really at the same spot. Absolutely. No, I, I knew it. And, and then I just, you know, kind of went on this, this, the next phase of just trying to figure out what it was going to be. So what does that and phase look like? That was uh, difficult. Do you, so you, you wrap up this, this case where you win and, and, but you have this moment inside where you're going, it's, it's not this, I got to find something else. So you, you begin reading, you begin praying, you begin what, what happens next? All of the above. I, I began reading, I began praying. I became reconnected to my faith. I co-founded a nonprofit called Lost and Found, a grief center for children who have experienced the death of a parent or sibling and is still going uh, full force now, some 14 years later, and serving children and families in the Southwest area. I did that. I took up hobbies, and I read all sorts of books that were related either directly or indirectly to next careers and cooking all the time. So I started a hobby of that. And I did all of those things. And I was getting kind of distressed about it. I mean, when you when you're looking and you don't, you don't, nothing's really clicking in the first year or the second year or the third year. And what I wanted, Grant, is I didn't want to just buy a franchise or, you know, I wanted to be inspired, you know, and, and, and in some ways, this is a not not a strength. But I wanted to be passionate about what I was doing. I wanted to be inspired by it. And I also wanted to pick something that would require a lifelong commitment to master. And so, you know, I didn't want to like make toast. Right. I wanted I wanted to do something that would really take a long time to figure out. It sounds like, you know, in terms of law, like you mentioned at the beginning, you're at the pinnacle of your career. You're Michael Jordan. Everybody's asking why you would want to walk away from it and retire at the top of your game. But it sounds like even from your own standpoint that the that the challenge was maybe no longer there in some ways. And now I'm, I'm looking for something where maybe I can start over and begin that climb back up a new mountain to figure out how to master or accomplish that thing. That's a, a, a good analogy and the analogy of a, a new mountain. And it wasn't as though I felt like that, 
you know, it wasn't a challenge, but I mean, every new case presented a challenge. But with each new case, there also became greater expectations that, you know, of magical results. Right. Um, and so, so that was certainly a challenge. But, um, but, you know, no, I think that one of the things that I've, one of the failures that I've committed in this new business is approaching it like a mountain to climb and to sort of reach the top and plant the flag there. And that, that is a mistake. And that is my mistake. And it's one of the things that I'm trying to rectify literally right now over the last year. And one of the best ways to fix problems is become aware of them. Right. And so that's kind of where I am with my business right now. So you tried a bunch of different things for sounds like three or four years or so, just trying to figure out what's the thing. Are you having any like just misfires or miscues where you're feeling like, hey, I think I found it. And then you start going down that path and realize, eh, maybe not. Maybe this isn't for me. Yes. Uh, sounds like you got to, I mean, you got to have a couple swings and misses before you hit that, hit the home run again. Right. And I did. And I had, um, I, I thought that my future would be in cupcakes. I've made thousands of cupcakes and um, uh, lots of buttercream, and and I thought that's kind of where it would be. And went to New York uh, just to look at Magnolia Bakery, which is uh, yeah. at that time is kind of cupcake mecca. Yep. And um, but I it just didn't. It wasn't something that I ultimately. It just wasn't the thing that grabbed me. I looked at a bakery for sale in another city that my wife and I have just, you know, been going to for years and years. Um, and that I thought, and I, I looked very seriously at, at that. And again, that didn't do it. I thought about opening a, a donut shop because I love donuts. And um, don't we all? That didn't do it. And yeah. And so. Um, you know, so yeah, you're right. I looked, I looked at a lot of different things. So how much of your mind is going to, okay, I'm, I'm successful in law, both in the, the public space, uh, on a, on a local and state and national level. Uh, I'm respected by my peers. I'm very influential in this space. How much of that do you feel the pressure of people going, whoa, 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 whoa. you're going to walk away from the successful law thing to bake cupcakes? Are you sure? Have you thought this through or how much of that is playing into your mind of, of what other people's reaction might be? Zero. I've never, I mean, you can't do what I did for as long as I did it and really care about what people think. Yeah. You can't. I mean, you have to have a very thick skin. And so I didn't really care. I, I, I didn't care what other lawyers or business people or really anyone except my family care. I, I didn't care about what they thought about that or how they viewed that. And was there, Still don't, really. was there ever a time where even your, your wife or even yourself, you're second guessing, you're going, am I making the right decision? Maybe I should just become numb to it and just keep doing this. I'm, I'm good at it. I don't necessarily enjoy it. I'm losing my passion for it. But maybe I, maybe this is just the way it's supposed to work. And I know you know, other people who they just do the, a whole career their entire life. And at some point they hate it, but that's just kind of the way it works. Are you kind of having those second doubts in your, in your own mind? I did have those. My my wife certainly had them. She wasn't as on board in the beginning with this as as I was. And so, yes, for sure. And there have been moments myself, you know, where I've thought, what have I done? <laughs> you know? And so it wasn't what someone else thought. It was what I thought. You know, I yeah. thought, Lord have mercy. What have I 
what what have I done? And yes, of course, it makes you think. Well, in fact, my grandparents were farmers uh, in Lawrence County, and they lived on the same farm for over 60 years. They had an elementary school education. They're my heroes. Uh, They're no longer alive, but I loved them, and they were the sweetest, most honest, hardworking people. If I had told my grandfather, I'm thinking about quitting my law practice and starting another or starting a chocolate factory, he would have, in his very nice and gentle and kind way, said, have you lost your mind? (laughs) And, you know, I would have cared what he thought because he lived a life of farming and he never he didn't ever go to the feed store in Miller or Mount Vernon and talk with his friends about his dissatisfaction with farming and he wanted to move into the city and buy a business. I mean the, the people didn't think like that. Right. And so I have a real respect for people who do quote stick it out unquote, you know, in their but in doing so, I think they need to find peace and they need to find joy. And I respect people immensely who are able to do that, who are able to work at one job for 30 or 40 years, and they find a way to um, have peace and joy in their lives. And um, so I have a great respect for that. Yeah. And, 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 and me, myself, if I had this to all do over again, I would absolutely do it. I, I would absolutely do it over again. However... If the ghost of chocolate future would have whisked me up out of my bed and shown me all of the challenges and stresses and difficulties of starting a manufacturing business and dealing with people all over the world, if it had shown me all of the stress and challenge, I would not have done it. I wouldn't have done it. So right. I'm glad that that didn't happen. I mean, I wouldn't have had, you know, I mean, we're, we are a little 15-person chocolate factory right now sustainably feeding 1,600 school children a day. Without wow. any donations, that's and awesome. Profit, profit sharing with farmers and helping farmers around the world. Every other year, I take local high school students to Tanzania um, to teach them about our business and about cocoa farming. And you know, I mean, I I wouldn't be able to do any of that if I'm still a lawyer. Right. But I'm just here to tell you that there's a lot that that people need to consider before they just jump out into the next thing. Right, for sure. I mean, there's definitely, there's no guarantee success, whatever it is that you shift gears to do. Do you feel like, so you, you, you've tried the, the, the donut thing, you've tried the cupcake thing, you're trying a couple different odds and ends. At what point are you dabbling with the chocolate where you realize, okay, this is it? Do you have like, the, is there just one light bulb moment where it goes off and resonates or how does that work for yes. you? Yeah, well, yes, it, I, was on, I was driving to a funeral in... Uh, well, in Lawrence County, near where my grandparents are buried. And I was driving there by myself and had this idea just kind of thinking, you know, as I was driving, I thought about making chocolate from scratch. I'd been making some chocolate desserts, but I had no idea. This is crazy. I can even say this now. I didn't know where chocolate came from. I thought, well, I'll just make chocolate from scratch. I I thought it was just like melted down and poured into a mold. I had no idea and it came from a bean and uh, grew around the equator. You know, I just, I just didn't know. But within three months of that, and I'm still a lawyer at that time. Within three months of that, I was in the Amazon. That's crazy. So are you going down there? So you, you have that, that moment on that drive there where you, it sounds like you can even still today vividly remember it. You head down there. Is it just more and more just kind of, kind of just resonating and stirring in your soul? Like this is it. This is what my next step is. 
Now I just have to figure out logistically and practically how do I get from point A to point B and, and make the leap. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I had this thought. I started thinking about it more and more. Within a week or two, I'd figured out where to go, how to get to the Amazon, who to meet with, all of that stuff. I came back from the Amazon. At that point, I'd learned how to make a little batch of chocolate in my kitchen. And then I bought a big piece of equipment from Germany, had to have a place to put it, bought a building on Commercial Street, started buying other equipment, partnered up with a lawyer to help transition my caseload. And that's it. So at this point, what's going through your head? Are you just, are you, you got to feel like top of the world, but at the same time, a lot of doubts. Like, I hope I can make this transition and I hope this works. But at the same time, just feeling refreshed and, and encouraged. Like, this is, this is it. I, I found the second half of my life of what I want to do. I had absolutely no doubts. I had no second thoughts. I had no worries. I had no, I did, I was on top of the world, you know, and I did feel, and I think, you know, I really do believe that the entrepreneurs who are really kind of bred toward this way of risk and challenge, there's just something because it can be it can be dangerous to not have doubts. Sure. I, but I didn't. I didn't have any doubts. I just didn't. You know, I knew I was doing the right thing. I knew that it would work out okay. And I wasn't afraid of failure. I'm still not. You know, and I I feel very comfortable uh, in my prayer that if the business for some reason fails, that it'll, it'll be okay. You know, it'll be okay with my employees and it'll be okay with me and my family and that it's okay. You know, and and, that- uh, I have a very deep rooted spiritual level of comfort that is at the base of a lot of this stuff that we're talking about. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, even as you kind of alluded to earlier that even you fast forward to today and the business is successful and you're still, it's not like you're working any less, you're still working and you still have a lot of the stress and you still have people to manage and all of these just different headaches associated with it. But it sounds like you, you feel like you're in more control and you feel like you're have really honed in on what you want to do. And so even though it's not, it's not a a Willy Wonka chocolate factory where every day is just daisies and roses, Hmm. it's still stressful, but you, you just feel like uh, I'm willing to put up with the stress knowing that this is the thing I'm supposed to be doing. Exactly. That is exactly it. I, it is stressful. It is challenging. I didn't somehow escape stress and challenge uh, by going to a new career. And I knew that that wasn't going to happen. And it's just new stresses, new challenges. But I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. And that's what people are yearning to feel. They want to have that sense of this is where I'm supposed to be right now. And that's a great feeling. For sure. Even with some stress and challenge, you know. Which is going to come with anything. You know, I I think that's right. I think that's real valuable to point out that no matter how much you love any job, you won't love 100% of the time. There are days where you know you and I both love what we do, but there are days you're going, ah, it's stressful or I'm worn out or I'm tired or I don't know if I want to do this, but it's probably better than any day of, of working for someone else or doing something that we hate and just trying to endure that. That's right. Let me ask you this. So you've got this huge, massive expertise and base of knowledge in law, and you are doing a complete 180 and going a totally different direction to now get into chocolate manufacturing. What would you say to someone who is is in a similar spot where maybe they've they've got an expertise, they know their their field, they want to shift course, they want to do something different, and it's a totally different niche that they don't know anything about? What were some things that you did 
to really learn about how do you manufacture chocolate. And I, I didn't go to school for this and I know nothing about it today, but what were some things that you did or some things that you wish you had done that would speed up the process to learn like this really niche topic of, of creating something that you have no base of knowledge on? The chocolate business is interesting because when I started, there were really only two or three of us in the country starting at about the same time. And Hershey had just purchased the only other person who had done it 10 years before us. So, And nobody talked to anybody. It was all very secretive. In Europe, it was very secretive. And so anyway, but if, if your question is, well, what can somebody do practically speaking once they've decided that this is the thing that they're going to do, whatever it is, there are a couple of things. Number one, I think that they should, the person should spend a good amount of time, you know, thinking about the qualities and strengths that they have that can be parlayed into the new thing. And people are surprised if they begin to take an inventory of the things that they're good at and the things that they know and how it might apply to something that's seemingly completely opposite of what they're doing. And so I think that people often, you know, immediately sort of sell themselves short on that. And I think that the first thing is to just figure out what they can do and what can be applied to this new venture that they're on. The other thing, practically speaking, that I wish that I'd done, and I tell every college student that I meet um, about this, is if you ever think you're going to be in small business, please, I beg of you, take accounting and take finance. <laughs> um, and I tell, I tell prospective lawyers that, prospective doctors, I don't care. If you're going to have anything to do with business, anything, please take accounting and finance. <laughs> And learn how to write a sentence. You know, you can read about political science. I was a political science major. I mean, you can do all that stuff. But you've got to be able to understand the numbers. You must not be afraid of the numbers and just force yourself to do that. And I wish that I had had that kind of experience because I didn't. And it was it's certainly been a, uh, a blind spot for me and one that I've had to really, really work on and exercise that muscle over the years to – Gain. And so those are just a couple of the things, you know, that I would, that I wish that I, you know, had known. The other thing is, I think that's important is to find ways in the very beginning of your venture to measure what you believe will be the success of the, of the company or of the startup or of the whatever, you know, how do you measure success? That's something I wish that, um, you know, so it's not a continually moving target. And then finally, I think it's important, I wish that I had learned a long time ago about meditation, meditation prayer, and um, finding ways to center my life and to center my day so that I could use that to relieve pressure and stress. Yeah. Great stuff. Man, uh, Sean, really appreciate you sharing your story and your journey and just some of the insights and, and lessons that you've learned along the way. Where can someone, if they, if they A, just want to find out more about your journey or your story, or B, more importantly, maybe just, I, I just got to try this chocolate we've been talking about. So where can people go to find out more about you? Thank you for asking. Well, askanosi.com is the best way to, for people to learn more about how we are as a business and chocolate university program, our nutrition programs, and, and buying our chocolate. We ship it all over the U.S. The other thing is we have a place on our website where people can enter their zip code and see if there's a store that sells it near them. And we sell it in Europe and Canada and Japan. And so it's available. So even though we're small, we're widely distributed and people can hopefully find it. And if not, they can get it shipped to them. 
Very cool. Hey, quick question on that. You alluded to uh, Chocolate University. So if someone specifically was listening to this and said, no, chocolate's my deal. I, I got I to be a part of this chocolate thing. What, what is Chocolate University? Chocolate University is a program that we started when we started the business seven years ago to engage the children of our neighborhood. So it's really for, for students. Uh, uh, it's for elementary, middle, and high school students in Springfield. And it's a way for us to engage them in our business and have them feel like they're part of our business. And it culminates with a high school and college program um, where we, as I mentioned earlier, take young people to Tanzania uh, in a very immense or intense uh, bean-to-bar program that we have. We raise the money to bring those students with us. So it's half of those students are full scholarship. That's so cool. That's awesome. Well, Sean, man, you're doing great work. And I appreciate you sharing your journey and story and just kind of how you made that that massive transition into something completely different. But it sounds like you've really landed on something that you you feel like this is this is what I was put on the planet to do is to make people smile with some chocolate. So well done on that. And I appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you. And come by and see us sometime. We'll do. Thanks, Sean. All right, there you have it. Episode 16 with Sean Askinosi talking about chocolate. I know right now you are just intrigued. You go, golly, this I uh, this guy seems to put some love into his chocolate. I gotta I gotta find some of this. So uh, you can go find all the links and everything that we discussed today. GrantBalden.com slash chocolate. GrantBalden.com slash chocolate. Uh, or you can just go to the, their site, Askinosi Chocolate, and uh, check that out and and find you some goodies, find you some treats and some snacks. Order that stuff. This isn't this isn't some uh, just powdery mix that they throw together. I mean, you heard his story. They're literally they are going into the jungles and finding the beans and bringing them back and processing them there at their factory and making this stuff happen. So uh, make sure that you uh, you check that out. Hey, uh, I've mentioned to you one other time before, but uh, again, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for just your support, for checking out this podcast, for leaving us reviews and feedback within iTunes. That really, really means the world for subscribing so that you never miss an episode. Make sure that you do that. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention to you is uh, we are taking on a few just very select, a small number of coaching clients right now. And so maybe for you, you're, you're, you're really resonating with Sean's story and you're going, all right, I, I'm in my job. I, I'm not a fan of it. I'm, it's run its course. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I want to do do something different. I have no idea what that next thing is. We would love to go on that journey with you and help you kind of process that and think that through. So if you were looking for coaching and just some assistance and, and making some type of transition like that, or maybe you say, hey, I'd love to I'd love to get into speaking. I know that you've done some speaking grant, I, or maybe you'd be interested in starting a podcast. You're just trying to figure out the logistics of that and the technical aspects of making that happen. Uh, we would love to, uh, to help you out with that. So if you were looking for a coach to kind of help just hold your hand through maybe a season or transition of life, we would love to help you out with that. You can find out more information at grantbaldwin.com slash coaching. Again, that's grantbaldwin.com slash coaching. Make sure that you, uh, you swing by, you check that out. One other thing I'll mention to you, and we'll wrap up with this. Hey, I say this all the time, I know, uh, but I'd encourage you, if you've got something that you're wrestling with or chewing on or pondering that I can help you with, or maybe you just need to uh, puke your thoughts out on email, then uh, please feel free to email me anytime, grant grantbaldwin.com. I would love to hear from you. And uh, as always, anything that I can do to support you on your journey to find and pursue and do work that you love, I'd love to be able to help you with that. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. This has been episode 16. Again, find all show notes at uh, grantbaldwin.com slash chocolate. We'll uh, talk to you again real soon. Episode 17 coming at you soon. Peace out. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.